Today, we do have a very special guest speaker. He's one of my favorites, and uh, I guess I'm a little biased because I went to college with him. Uh, Kevin is one of our small group leaders, and uh, he also preaches pretty consistently in our youth group to our youth. Uh, He is a phenomenal preacher, and he's my friend. Would you welcome Kevin Destin? Glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Um, If you're happy to be here, just say... On this count of three, a big whale of an amen. One, two, three. Amen. All right. Amazing. How was everyone's Thanksgiving? Good. I love Thanksgiving. It's my top two favorite holiday. It's like Christmas and then Thanksgiving. Like, I love it. Food, family, friends sometimes, depending on where you live. Um, I just want to give a special shout out to a man named Oliver Evans. Oliver Evans. If you guys don't know who that is, he is the inventor of the refrigerator. Now, I give him a special shout out because in my opinion, just in my opinion, leftovers are sometimes better than the actual meal. Can we talk about it? Okay. Like, because, you know, during Thanksgiving Day, you're so excited, the anticipation's killing you, and then you finally get the meal, and then you're like, I'm not even that hungry. And then you eat like a half plate, and then you're upset. But the next day, though, when you're actually hungry, and you're like, I got a whole Thanksgiving meal. Excited. So thank you, Oliver Evans, for inventing the refrigerator, which then in turn invented good, healthy, not rotten leftovers. Um, I just want to take the time out to thank, firstly, the uh, leaders and um, the staff of this church, uh, in particular, the, um, the, seniors, the senior elders. Thank you for stewarding us and keeping us accountable and keeping our, our church in the right direction. Um, I also want to thank the pastoral staff, Pastor Dylan, Pastor Caitlin. They're my dear friends, and they have been an example of what it means to be a young adult and still love Jesus, despite what the culture tells you. Um, I also want to thank Pastor Paul. Even though you're not here, it's all good. I'm going to catch you on the flip side. Thank you for entrusting me with your pulpit. Thank you for entrusting me with your flock. Um, I truly believe God has a good word for us this morning, and I um, just want to send a special shout out to him and thank him for allowing me this honor and this privilege. I also want to thank you guys, the congregation, the church. Thank you for allowing me to speak into your lives, pour into your lives. I truly believe God has a really good word for us, a timely word. So I just want to thank you guys for allowing me to speak into your life. And last but certainly, but not least, I'd like to thank God. Because without him, none of this is possible. None of this is worth it. None of it is, we have no reason apart from him to be here, to be connected and join in with one certain mission in mind, an aspect in mind, and that's to worship him. Man, thank you. Before we get started, though, can we talk about my outfit, though? This is, this is the Pastor Paul, Pastor Dylan hybrid outfit right here. I got a little bit of Pastor Dylan. See, we kind of connected. And then the Pastor Paul overcoat, because you know he likes to wear overcoats all the time with his jeans. Not fire, but we're going to give him some slack. Um, if you guys would reach into your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua. Sorry, I slipped my mind what page it is. If somebody could find that page that it is in the Bible pews, um, the pew Bibles, and you could just yell it out. I'm cool with that. The book of Joshua. Chapter 1, page 199 in the Bibles in front of you, the book of Joshua, chapter 1. And God's word reads, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am given to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, 
For you shall cause the, this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it. The, do not turn it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you, may, you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Father God, I pray, Lord Jesus, firstly, in thankfulness, Lord God. Thank you that you are willing to die on the cross that we might have life, Lord. Thank you that you are a God that is not dormant, that you are not a God that is abstract, that you are not a God that is away from your people, but you are with us. You are joined with us, and you love us, and you will never leave us nor forsake us. Father God, we thank you this morning for that love, that love that is unconditional, that is not contingent upon what we do, but what you did on the cross. Father, we give you honor, we give you thanks, and we give you praise this morning. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds to receive your word and ears to hear it. We lift you up, Lord God. We magnify you. We sing hallelujah to your name. We give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The definition of courage is mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. I'm going to read it again. The definition of courage is mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. This morning, I want to speak on a commission to courage. A commission to courage. Courage takes mission. The word of the Lord says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, uh, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all these people into the land that I am given to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. Just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, to the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. Therefore, that was loud. Oh, let me get myself right. Therefore, sorry, excuse me. Uh, the great river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. Courage takes mission. There is no such thing as courage apart from mission. Just as there is no such thing as faith apart from challenge. Courage isn't a standalone attribute. Courage comes with something. It is not just, you're not just courageous just because, just because you want to be. You have to be courageous with the intention of something. No one is just courageous just to be. But you are made courageous for a mission. Courage must be born out of purpose. As we read in the first four verses, the mission is given to Joshua. And when we read this passage, I could imagine the commission of Joshua, the commission of Joshua looks something like this, if you would turn your, your attention to the screen.
Now, if you guys don't know, that's like the ceremonial lighting of the torch or the Olympic cauldron that happens every Olympic Games. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm like an imagery guy. Like, I attach everything I read to it like an image. So when I was reading this, I was like, I have to find an imagery to connect. So because I know I'm not the only one that thinks like that. So um, if you were to imagine being an Israelite during this time, during the passing of the mantle, the passing of the torch, so to speak, you would think that it would look something like this, this momentous, triumphant, important, climactical event. But on the contrary, it was one that was filled with sorrow, anguish, and despair. If you flip back just one chapter into Deuteronomy 34, the account of the death of Moses is written. And starting Deuteronomy chapter 34 says, Then Moses went up to the plains of Moab, to Mount Nebo, to the top of the Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead, as far as Dan, all of Nephalti, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all of the land of Judah, as far as the Western Sea, the Najab and the plain that is the Valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zor. And the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he, and he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Por. But no one knows this, the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. But his eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plain of Moab 30 days. And then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. So on the contrary of this momentous occasion that we thought would look like that, it was filled with sorrow, anguish, and despair. Now a census was taken of the Israelites back in Numbers 26, and they did a census of able-bodied, military-able men. And they came to a figure of about 600,000. This is not accounting for women and children or elderly. This was just of the able-bodied, military-able men. 600,000 is roughly the size of Boston, give or take. So imagine the entire city of Boston shuts down for an entire month to mourn one man. It was probably a very sorrowful, hurt, negative time. Us, entire city. A man of God, a leader of Israelites, giver of God's law, a pillar of faith. Moses, perhaps the greatest man up into, in Israel's history up until that time, has died. And perhaps this morning, we've probably come in and somebody we hold dear to our hearts has gone or is no longer in our lives, or a friend, or somebody we hold dear. Or maybe it's not a person at all. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's your home. Maybe it's a situation that you held dear, and now that thing is no more. But I'm here to tell you guys this morning that even though those things have died, nothing of God has died. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Exodus 14 says, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. You, have, you might have came in here this morning. And something that you hold dear is gone. It's no longer existence. And you're standing in the face of fear. You're standing in the face of the thing that makes you shiver in your boots. But I'm here to tell you this morning, guys, that be strong and courageous. The Lord is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He tells you to stand firm and fear not. And you will see the salvation of the Lord in your life. And all he wants you to do, sit still, be silent, and trust in him. 
See, God's mission is bigger than one person. But at the same time, it's fitted to every individual. God's purpose is bigger than one person. But at the same time, it is fitted to every individual. So God gives Josh the assignment. And he reiterated to him what he had told Moses to do. I want to tell you this morning that God isn't in need of worthy men. God makes men worthy. He isn't needy of worthy men. He makes men worthy. Therefore, we shouldn't fear the loss of something or a person that we might look at and exemplify and exalt as man. That is an example of God. We shouldn't fear that because God isn't fearful of his cause failing. If something that you held dear that connected you to God goes away, don't fear that cause or that mission in your life failing because God isn't, his cause isn't going to fail. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, in other words, God has already prepared the work for you. Way before you were formed in your mother's womb, God had a plan, he had a mission, he had a calling, he had an intent in your life before you were made. So the work is already done. So you need not to fear. Imagine going outside every day and you know how your steps are already ordered. You know what you're going to do. You need not to fear because you know if I put this foot in front of that foot, I'm going here. You don't need to fear. God has already done the work in your life. And it was through Christ Jesus. This implies that we should step out in bold obedience to him. God has prepared the works for us beforehand. We ought to walk in them. And when we walk in them, we ought to walk in it confidently, without wavering, without apprehension, without fear. Be courageous and know that these works are not of your doing. It's not of anything you can do, but who, God who did it for you. So I have three questions for you guys this morning. What are the things that God has prepared for you to do? Think of it introspectively within your heart. What are the things God has prepared for you to do? Maybe it's reaching out to that family member. Maybe it's reaching out to that coworker or that person you see on the bus or train or in passing every day. What are the things God has prepared for you to do? Wait, maybe it's starting a ministry. What are the things that God has prepared for you to do? And then secondly, when did you last reassess God's call on your life? Sometimes we go through the motions. We get stuck in the pattern or the routine of our Christian life. And then we miss out and lose out on the calling that God has for us. We have to reassess it, constantly keep it fresh, constantly keep it on the forefront of our mind. We have to reassess what God's call is on our life. And the third question is, what are those things that God has given you a passion for? What is he giving you a passion for? I know my brother Junior outside, I see him. He has given Junior a passion to reach out to the homeless. What is your passion? What has God called you to do? And when you find that out, you have to take it and you have to implant it into your heart. See, your courage will rise when you have a clear view of the mission. When you have a clear view of the mission, your courage will rise. And we see that in Joshua chapter 1. God gives Josh a clear vision of his message, uh, of his mission, a clear view of his mission. He tells him, now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan. You and all these people to the land I have promised them, the people of Israel. And then he shows them the entire land. He says, this is what I want you to go to. He gives them a clear view of the mission. And then verse 5 says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Courage takes God's presence. Courage takes God's presence. See, God never calls us to do anything apart from him. Every assignment that God gives us 
is also his primary way of sanctifying us. Every assignment that God gives us is also a primary means of sanctifying us. So what does that mean? Can we be frank this morning? Some of us aren't living our full potential in Christ. We are separating the sanctification process from our daily lives. What is, what is the sanctification process? Reading your Bible every day. And I'm not saying read like the first sentence of the first paragraph and the last sentence of the last paragraph and skimming through it. I mean reading it, taking it, imparting it into you, making it every bit a part of you as your heartbeat. Reading it, mastering it, getting it ingrained into your spirit. Another aspect of sanctifying is praying. And I'm not talking about these cookie-cutter prayers that anybody and everybody could pray. I'm talking about a personal, truthful, impactful prayer where you're laying out, crying out to God in communion and fellowship with him. How many of us have friends or particularly a best friend? Do you guys just talk about the same overarching conversations all the time? Is that what made that person your best friend? Is that what created that relationship with them? Just the same over and over. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. Um, I'm good. You want to get some donuts? Okay, sure, let's do that. And then that's it. How would that person be your best friend? Now, if we are to say we love God and God is our friend, he's our best friend, he's our helper, how are we praying the same generic cookie-cutter prayer to him every day? We have to get personal. We have to get deep in with God. You have to speak to him. You have to commune in the fellowship with him. And the third aspect of sanctifying, you can read your Bible. You can have communion and fellowship with God. But none of that means nothing if you're not implementing it in your daily life. You have to walk it out. You have to be about what you talk about. God is too good to keep them all to yourself. Amen? If you know the goodness and the love that God has shown you, why would you not want to share it? You have to step out in faith and live it in your daily life, whether it's talking to that person that nobody wants to talk to or doing that thing that God has called you to do, despite it being against your schedule or what you would like to do. You have to live it out. You have to read your Bible. You have to pray and you have to live it out. See, the very thing God is using to draw us to himself is also his calling upon us. The very thing that God is using to draw us to himself is his calling upon us. He uses it to get us closer to him so then he could project us out. He's not just getting us in to just cultivate us and hug us and coddle us. He calls us to, to get it uploaded with his data and then send it out into the world. His calling is also a statement of his presence. See, God is not going to call you and not be with you. He's not going to say, hey, Kev, help me build this shed and then watch you build it. He's going to be with you. His calling is his presence. See, when the sanctification process is ingrained and established within our daily lives, we will be able to identify God's calling on our lives. When we're praying, we're reading the Bible, when we're living it out, we'll be able to clearly see what God has called us. There will be without a shadow of a doubt what God wants us to do when we're, doing our, when we're properly sanctifying ourselves and bringing ourselves closer to him. His presence will begin to filter and spread through our lives. It will be undeniable. No one will be able to tell you that God is not working because you'll know for yourself. So when the enemy tries to infiltrate, when he tries to hit you with a lie or tries to hit you with doubt, fear, and anxiety, you'll be ready for him because you'll know the truth. If you know the truth and somebody's trying to tell you something, there's no way they're going to unconvince you of the truth. Right? We know one plus one is two, right? We know that for a fact. This is a fact. One plus one is two. What if I come and say, hey, man, you know one plus one is five, right? There's no way you're going to believe me because you know the truth. The way we, we get the truth and we impart the truth is by sanctifying ourselves daily. So when the enemy tries to come, he'll have nothing for you. 
He won't be able to touch you because you'll know the truth and you'll be armed with it. That's why the book of the, of the Lord says, be strong and courageous, fear not, and stand firm. We have to recognize God's commitment in our lives. Verse 5, he says, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, Joshua could accept the challenge because he recognized God's commitment to him. In essence, God said to Joshua, if you accept this challenge, I'll commit myself to you. See, God gives us a choice. We could choose not to accept the challenges that he has for us. We could just do our thing, our own thing. But then what are we really abiding in? What is our, our confidence and our courage really rooted in? In ourselves? I would hate to only trust in myself because I know the worst parts of me. But God gives Josh the, the choice. He says, if you accept the challenge, I'll commit myself to you. This morning, I want to give you guys three types of presence that you could, uh, you could see and seek for yourself in your life. The first one is powerful presence. Powerful presence. In, the, in verse 5, God reminded Joshua that no one would be able to stand against Israel. But not because of Israel's power, not because of Joshua's power, but because of God's power. See, God calls us to courage in his presence. Apart from him, courage is reduced to fear. It's reduced to fear, or even worse, listen to me. Without God, courage is either reduced to fear or even worse, arrogance. And people might think, you know, courage and arrogance is synonymous, like they run together. You can't be courage, courageous without being arrogant. That's a lie. It's not true. See, courage is confidence not in yourself, but in your mission, in your purpose, in your calling. That's what courage is. It's confidence in that. Arrogance is derived from opinion, from dependency on yourself. You're arrogant in the things you know you're good at. I would urge you today to seek to be courageous and not arrogant. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, he too promises us his power and presence in our lives. The second type of presence I want to speak, about, speak to today is personal presence. Personal presence. See, this power is not of angels it's not of rules. It's not of mandates, but it's from the Lord himself, from God himself. God initially showed his presence to the Israelites as they were leaving Egypt. He accompanied them with a cloud and a pillar of fire and nothing more. But they had that. I want to say to you this morning, even though you don't see God, he is there. You may not see him physically with your eyes. He is there. So have peace in the fact that knowing that God is with you in the middle of your wilderness, in the middle of your trial, in the middle of your tribulation, in the middle of your fear. God is with you. He's not over the situation. He is in the situation with you. The people of Israel were to be willing to, were willing to face God's, the, the challenges ahead of them because they knew God was with them. And we ought to be even more. 1 Peter 1 Chapter uh, verse one says to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God, the father in the sanctification of his spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be upon you. See, when you have a personal presence of God in your life, grace and peace will be upon you. You will have a peace beyond understanding when God's presence is in your life. The third type of presence I want to speak to is permanent presence. The permanent presence of God. See, verse 5 also carries the assurance that Joshua would never be left or forsaken. Christ has made the same commitment to us. He's made that same, I will never leave nor forsake you commitment to us. He has given us spirit, the spirit to live in us. 
So the works that you see Moses did and the works that you see Joshua did, we could do even more because we have the Holy Spirit with us. Not a cloud, not a pillar of fire, but the Holy Spirit in us. And God's, and how more personal than that is, is it? It's not accompanying, accompanying us in the sky or next to us. It's within us. Now I'd like to say to you guys this morning that being a Christian, a disciple of Christ, isn't this corporate achievement or this corporate position like, I'm a Christian, yeah. No, it's a 24-7, 365 fulfillment of purpose. God's assignment comes with a special sense of his purpose, of his presence, which it is even in today is ever more presence because we have his Holy Spirit with us. John 14, 12 says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will, do, will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. That is the words of Jesus Christ himself telling us that we will do greater works than him because we have the Holy Spirit with us. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me strength. It gives me courage. It tells me to fear not and stand firm because Jesus himself, the one we worship, told us we will do greater works than him. That almost mandates, that almost demands courage. It almost demands strength. God is not in the business of going against his word. If God is anything, if God is anything to you, to me, to anyone, to anything, he is a keeper of his word. God is not going to back out the block. He's not going to go against his own self. He literally cannot do it. The Bible says in Numbers 23, verse 19, that God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. He has said, and he, will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Has God ever said something to you, has made a promise into your life, has spoken into your life and not done it? Maybe it wasn't in the time you wanted it to be. Maybe it wasn't in the fashion that you wanted it to be. I wanted it today, God. I wanted it right now, God. And I wanted it wrapped in a bow tie and nice and easy and soft and cashmere. God will do what he has said in your life. It might not be on your terms, but when God does it, it will be better than what you wanted it on your terms anyway. So I'm not tripping off of it. God is not a man that he should lie. I, I really love that. That's so reassuring that I worship someone, a God who is not going to lie to me. He's not going to say something to me and to give me false hope. How many of us have been lied to in this room this morning? And then when you found out there was a lie, how hurt were you? How broken were you from that lie? God is not going to do that. He's not going to have you feel that feeling again. He's not a man that he should lie. Josh, God didn't leave Josh high and dry, and he won't leave you high and dry. If God has called you, he is with you. Courage doesn't mean that you're not afraid, though. We might think, you know, I'm courageous, I don't fear anything. It's not, it doesn't mean you're not afraid. It just means that you fear God more than you fear your environment. Courage means that you fear God more than you fear your circumstance. It means that you trust in the divine resources that God has given you more than you trust in your resources, in your ability, in the things around you. A 19th century clergyman, he was actually a bishop of Massachusetts, Philip Brooks said, don't ask for tasks equal to your powers. Ask for powers equal to your task. Don't ask for tasks equal to your powers. Ask for powers equal to your tasks. In other words, don't ask for things that you know you're capable of doing. Because in that moment, you'll only rely on yourself. If you know I can shoot this three, you're going to rely on your abilities to shoot this three. If you know that you could go and volunteer one day at, at, a, 
at a food bank out of the year, you'll, do, you'll rely on yourself. But when you ask for um, power equal to your task, that means that God is commissioning you with a purpose, with an intention, with a calling, and you're saying, God, I'm not going to rely on myself because I know within myself I can't do what you call me to do. So you have to give me your power. You have to send your power to me. So then you trust in him and not in yourself. I don't know about you guys this morning, but I want to trust in God and not in myself because I have even failed myself, let alone other people. I failed myself. So why would I want to trust in something that would fail itself? God takes all our fear, all our pain, and he replaces it with courage and strength. But courage takes determination. Courage takes determination. Three times God reiterates to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. When God repeats himself, it's with intention. He says it with a purpose, with a meaning behind it. In addition to the mission of leading the Israelites to the promised land, the mission was to be strong and courageous in the face of the trials and tribulations that would come with leading them. It wasn't going to just be easy street. You think about it. The Israelites, an entire nation, just came out of slavery, just came out of captivity. And then they're thrust into a desert. It's not easy street. It's not going to just be peaches and cream and, uh, you know, manna the whole way. They're going to face trials and tribulations. But courage is the ability to stand within the face of that and fear not. Oftentimes, we make decisions based on our personal attributes. You know, what we like and don't like, what we want and don't want. And I get it. I I understand that. We want what we want. It's human nature to just want what we want. But I urge you this morning to be very careful of making decisions based upon your personality profile, what you prefer. I urge you this morning to not make decisions based on that. We cannot allow ourselves to fall victim to the belief that God operates within the confines of our personality. God does not operate based on our preference. He does not operate on how we want to do things. When God calls us, he never dialogues with us about, you know, how they want it. God gives you a mission, he gives you a purpose, and he gives it to you cut and dry. He doesn't give it to you, hey, man, what do you think? You're available Wednesday to, you know, go preach a sermon, or you're available, you know, in two weeks to to go speak into this person's life. He gives you a mission, he gives you a mandate, he gives you a calling, and he gives it to you not based on how you want it, but in the relationship of his mission, his purpose. So we cannot try to base our Christianity, our walk with him, based on how we function. Because we are not God. I know I'm I'm not God, at least. I don't know about everybody else, but I'm not. We all know that we excel at certain things and we lack at certain things. So we choose to focus on that, the, the things we excel at. We choose to focus on those and we ignore the things we fail at. And in that, that's where we lose out on God because we're only focusing on things we're good at. So we, then we get arrogant in those and we only focus on those and we just start to depend on ourselves. Even Moses himself said to the Lord, he said in Exodus 4.10, O Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. Even Moses was like, God, eh, it's not preferable. I don't want to speak to the Israelites. I want to, you know, can you give me like a support position, like a, a backdoor position? And God, what, said, what does God say? No, you're going to go out and you're going to lead the Israelites. I don't care if you're slow in tongue. I'll make up for it. I don't care if you're slow in speech. I'll make up for it. But you have to trust him. You have to walk within his purpose. Consider that when Moses realize that God has commissioned him, that it is not you, but it is him who will work through you. And yeah, it'll be tough. 
Yeah, you'll grow weary. You'll grow faint. You'll be, sometimes be anxious. But I urge you to stay the course. Continue to plot on and plot forward. Because the thing that God has on the other side of that threshold is far better than you could have imagined for yourself. But in order to cross that threshold, you have to be courageous. See, courage is what gets us out of the, the, the practice of plateauing. You know, we get to a certain point and we can go no higher, right? And courage is what gets us past that plateau. I don't know about you guys this morning, but I do not want to be a plateaued Christian. I do not want my faith to plateau, to get no higher. I don't want my walk and how I view people and how I view the Lord and how I view the world to plateau and just be the same thing across the board. We have one life to live, and we have to live it for God, and we can't live it at a plateaued rate, guys. Whether you know it or not, you and I, we are all leaders. We have to live out our faith in this world and be a leader because culture would tell us not to live out, not to be Christians. Culture would, not to, would tell us not to believe in Christ. We have to be leaders, whether it's in our homes, whether it's in our workplaces, whether it's in our friend groups. We have to be leaders. We can't submit to the culture of our areas. We can't submit to the cultures of our homes and our, our workplaces and our, and our friend groups and say, well, you know, everybody I'm around doesn't believe in God, so I'm just going to go ahead and not believe in him either. We have to be leaders. We have to step out in faith and do what God has called us. And leadership is strengthened by acts of obedience. When you obey God, he, he props you up and puts you into leadership. But leadership is not a position. Leadership is a verb. Leadership is action. Doing what God has called you despite where you're at or despite what's around you. A famous World War II pilot once said this. You know you're flying over the right target when you're getting shot at. So when you're in the position of leadership that God has put you on and put you into, and you're walking and staying the course, and you're being strong and courageous, and you're not fearing, and you're standing on the word of God, you're going to get shot at. The devil's going to try to take you down. But let me tell you this, his fighter pilot ace is not as good as your God's. He's an ace. He will never leave you, never forsake you, and he will not allow you to get shot down. You may feel like you're going to get shot down. The bullets might be whizzing past you, and it's scary, and you hear the bombs, but you're not going to get shot down if you stay the course. Your ability to endure deepens your resolve. Your ability to endure deepens your resolve. If you act courageously, you get more courage. Courage isn't a battery life. The more you use it, the more it goes down. And then you got, no. Courage, the more you use it, the more you get of it. It doesn't go down. The, the only reason way it goes down is if you don't act in it. But the more you use it, it keeps going. You get more courageous. You get more bold. You start to step out more and more. God gets to, begins to use you more and more. You can take that to the bank that the more you work in God and you walk in God, the more he will use you. He will not use you and then put you on the shelf, then take you back out when it's convenient. No, he will continue to give you the things that you want in your life in terms of mission and passion. God is with you, but he will only strengthen you if you raise your leg and put it in front of the other one and keep walking toward what he has called you to do. God can't steer a parked car. If you want to stay parked in your cozy little parking space, God can't use you. You have to turn out of that parking space. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I cannot parallel park. I'm terrible at it. Thank God I have like a little driveway I can just pull up and park my car. So I say that to say I'm not trying to park my car and try to steer because I'm going to just keep messing up. I'm going to hit the car in front of me. I'm going to hit that car. I'm not trying to stay parked. I'm trying to turn out into the road and be driven by God's purpose. 
The way we can do that, though, if you look in verses 7 and 8, God says to Josh, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or left hand that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may, have, may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Courage stands on the word of God. Courage stands on the word of God. Success or failure in the mission that God has called you is tied to your relationship to the truth. There are three primary relationships that, God, that, that are in this verse. The first one is proclaim the word. In other words, what he said in the Bible, God said in the Bible is let it not depart from your mouth. Proclaim the word. Can we be frank this morning? The lack of biblical knowledge in the church, not specifically a church, but a church abroad, is alarming. People just aren't biblically literate. They don't know what this book says. So you have to proclaim it. Pragmatism has ravaged our churches. Pragmatism is taking away the supernatural rights of our callings. Now, I want to warn you today, a pragmatic approach to your walk is almost like giving up control. And now you say, I might say giving up control, and you might be like, well, God's going to, you know, control it. No, I mean giving up control to nothing. Imagine giving up control of your car, not to the autopilot system that's going to keep you going, but to nothing. You're just like, Jesus, take the wheel, but, didn't he, but you're not really wanting that. You've given up control to nothing. That's what a pragmatic approach to your walk is. I don't want to give up control of my life to nothing. I want to give up control of my life to God. And God works in the supernatural. It is imperative that we carve out time in our days to be with God. I don't care what your schedule looks like. Not interested in that. You have to find a way to put God in that schedule. You have to find a way. I don't care. Whether it's taking away Netflix, whether it's taking away Disney Plus, if you're not going to watch Frozen, so be it. Take it out. I know some of us have kids. Nah, the kids aren't even as important as God. You have to carve out the time to be with God. You have to make them a focal point of your walk. The second aspect of standing on the word of God is you have to meditate on the word. You have to meditate on it. The reason you can proclaim the word is because you know, you know it and you have it stored up inside you. But you can't store it up inside you if you don't meditate on it. How many of us have read books in our lives? And apart from like the really elementary green eggs and ham books, how many of us remember what some of those books say? Okay, granted, but why? Because you read it over and over and you stored it up in your brain and you stored it up in your heart. You didn't just skim through it. We skimmed through a thousand books and we probably don't remember any of the, what's in those books. But when you meditate on it, when you focus on it, you store it up. So when the enemy comes in like a flood, you have those blocks to well up the holes. You must meditate on the word. Now, the popular belief is if you spend 10,000 hours doing something, you master it. I can stand here and say that I am a master of video games. I have mastered video games. I've played millions of hours of video games. And I'm pretty sure everybody could attest to that or whatever you master. If we can master video games, if we can master fishing, if we can master whatever our ho hobby is, we surely must be able to master the word of God. We have to saturate ourselves in it. We have to stick to it. We have to be entrenched in the word of God. And we have to make, it a, we have to make ourselves masters of it. 
because it's for us. It's our, for our benefit. You have to love it and live it. And lastly, we have to do that, do all that is written in it. See, we could proclaim the word and we could know it and we could have it in our hearts. But if you don't live it, then it's all for naught. Hypocrisy is a cancer to the soul. Hypocrisy is a cancer to the soul. It is probably the number one detriment to our spiritual walks. We talk it, but we don't walk it. We talk it, but we don't walk it. In Revelation 3, 16, it says, So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. The last thing that God wants is a Christian that acts like, that talks like a Christian, but doesn't act like one. Is it living like one? The last thing he wants is somebody saying what they do, but not doing what they say. You have to be about what you talk about. The integrity of our character is everything. If someone can't trust you or they never believe you or they, say, they know you're not doing what you talk about, how will you ever survive? And the same thing goes for our spiritual life. If we say we're reading our Bible, if we say we're praying, if we say we're doing this and that, but we're actually not, our soul is just withering away. You have to be the destination in which other, in the other, where you want other people to arrive. You have to be the example in people's lives. You can't wait for somebody else to come along and be that example. You have to be that example. You can't say, oh, man, I wish Pastor Paul would come to my house and you know, speak to my parents. You have to speak to your parents. You can't say, oh, I wish Pastor Paul or some person of God would come to my, my workplace and speak to these people because they tripping. No, you have to be that person. You have to step out in faith. You have to do all that is written in the word of God. I'd like to invite the worship team back up. Moses, he was a lowly orphan who was pitied by Pharaoh's daughter. He was the son of a slave who put him in a basket and sent him down the river, never to be seen again. And he was pitied. But, but despite being the son of an orphan who was pitied by Pharaoh's daughter, God commissioned him. And when fear and doubt and uncertainty was the theme of Moses and morale, God said to Moses, I will be with you. Fear not. When Moses had ran his course and Joshua was committed to lead the Israelites into the promised land, I can only imagine being Josh. I can only imagine being him. Like the guy you looked up to, your, 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 your leader is dead. And God says, now you, I want you to do it. I want you to lead the people. I would have been shaking in my boots if I was Joshua. Shaking, scared. I would have been quivering. It would have been insane. But when Moses reveals that it is not he, but Joshua will lead the, who will lead the Israelites, and the mantle is, headed to, is handed to him in the event of Moses' passing, he was, he was probably afraid. But... Moses and God both proclaimed to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. The same mandate in the same proclamation that Moses and God gave to Josh, he gives to you. Hebrews 13, it says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So as we're on the eve of the new year, and we begin to make our resolutions, 2020 is going to be like this. This year is going to be like that. I don't want to make a spiritual resolution and have it be dead 
defeated by the time February rolls around. I don't want to make a resolution by, that by the time the church is celebrating the resurrection of Christ, my soul is walking into that tomb. I don't want to make a spiritual resolution that by the time the country is celebrating freedom and liberation, that I'm still shackled and bound by my sin. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. I don't want Thanksgiving to roll around again. And when the inevitable question of what are you thankful for comes around, that nothing I ha I'm thankful for has anything to do with God or what God did for me in my life. I urge you to be strong and courageous. 2020, it's uh, the irony in it that 2020 marks the sign of perfect vision. God, let our vision be clear. Let our vision be sharp. Let our vision be focused on the mission, on the calling that you have on our lives. Let us be firmly rooted in the commission to courage, where we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, confident in your love, and standing soundly upon your word. And do what you have called us to be, and that is spread your gospel and make Jesus known to the ends of the earth. Guys, if strength and courage is something you want to make a theme of your next year coming up, I encourage you, the altars are open. The Lord said to Josh, he said to Moses, and he says to you, be strong and courageous. Fear not and stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Jesus, we thank you. Father, we love you this morning. We are so appreciative, Lord God, that in the middle of our trials, in the middle of our tribulations and our toil, Lord God, you are with us, Jesus. Father, thank you that you provide us with strength and courage, and you tell us to fear not and stand firm on your word, God. Father, let us not fall into the victimization of being afraid of the ploys of the enemy. Let us face it, Lord, with strength and courage, God. Let us go into this new year, Lord, with your mission in our forefront, Lord God. Father, give us the attributes needed to do your will. Let 2020 be the marker of a trajectory that is different, Lord God, in our lives, in our generations, in our families, in our workspace, in our friend group, Lord God. Give us clear vision in 2020. Give us clear vision in 2020, Lord. Make us strong and courageous. And we are only instruments, Lord God, to be used by you in your mission. Father, we give you thanks. We give you praise, Lord God. We are humbled by you, God. And we love you today. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. The altars are open. Feel free.